0: Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Now here's a message from one of our leaders, Blake Fine. one, Uh And I'll read these verses and then we'll kind of get rolling. Uh, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from god for it has been granted to you that for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw i had and now hear that i still have will you pray with me dear jesus thank you for your love and your mercy Uh, We thank you for your love and your mercy because it proposes in our lives uh, to change. That There has to be some kind of inward change out of response to your love and mercy on the cross. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, God. I just pray that these few moments where we dive into your word, that you would reveal to us some kind of truth that would be new to us, something that would grow us, something that would draw us closer to your heart and what you call us to do as Christians. We love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen. So I lived in New York City in the summer of 2016. So I was working with this church plant over there and it was a really cool opportunity experience. I got to, um, it was the first time I ever flew on an airplane. So that was kind of frightening at first. I got there to the greatest city in the world that I believe because it's like, it's really like the world in one place, right? So there's all these different people groups. You have like island people, you have white people, you have like hipsters, you have people in the hood, you have like all these different kinds of people. And I remember the first week that I got there, um, my team leader, his name was Josiah. And so he led our, our team of college students that were kind of a part of this church plant. And so we get there and he says, hey, I want you to come and meet this woman at this coffee shop. Uh, it was like a little coffee shop, deli type, type restaurant and he said, hey, come meet this woman. I think she's really cool, and so uh, he had been there for kind of a week before, so he was able to already meet a few people and things like that, and so we go to this place, and this, this woman is there, and like, have any of you been to New York City? Uh, anybody in here been to New York City? Okay, so like, the people there are kind of different, right, than people in the South, right? So like, she was a true New Yorker, right? Like, you ever seen the movies where it's like, hey, I'm walking here, like that kind of deal, like that's exactly kind of how she was. And she, she kept talking about how she was a, a Brooklyn Knight and she was all about Brooklyn and that if her Brooklyn neighbors needed something that she'd be there for them. And that's what uh, she was all about. She even mentioned how in like when 9-11 happened that New York was kind of, like you have the different boroughs, right? Like you have Long Island and Manhattan and Brooklyn and all these different kind of areas. And she even talked about how like in that moment they were all united by an identity, right? They're all united by their identity as New Yorkers. And I thought about this idea of being united as identity. And I think it's kind of interesting because for me, I think unity is like really, really important, right? Unity is so important, it's important in the church because I believe that's what the gospel calls us to. Firstly, the gospel unites us through Christ to God because of what he's done for us, right? That's, that's what the gospel is. That, that what's interesting is this letter is, is by Paul, right? And Paul, he was a true Jew and he was a true Jew, he was like a, a good Jew. And he was not a fan of Gentiles. And when he got saved, he was specifically called to preach to the Gentiles. And what was interesting about that is that he was able to unite two different people groups under the gospel. So there's this power in unity. There's something powerful about unity. And I kind of have a few kind of observations that I want to hit on real quick before we kind of move into these verses, just to kind of get our minds around what this, uh, this idea of unity looks like. And the first idea is this, uh, the power of unity, it brings opposite people together. Have you ever, like, you met people that you had nothing in common with, but, like, the more you got to know them, it kind of brought you together closer? Like, I have a lot of people in my life that, especially when I was in New York, I would meet all these different kinds of people, and it would be really interesting because I had nothing in common with them. Like, they had been living in New York City their whole life, one of the biggest cities in the world, and I was from little old Cordial Georgia. And so it was just kind of this interesting thing where I got to know them and I got to get closer with them, And there was this idea where I was able to kind of bring together two different types of people. And I think the same thing happens with the gospel in church. There's a lot of different types of people in this room, but we are all here under one common idea, right? We're all here under the gospel. We're all here under the mission and the truth of what Jesus has called us to. And and we do that because we're united by the gospel, right? And so out of that, there's this idea that maybe we're opposite. We may be different. We may not have things in common, but we do have one commonality and that is the truth of Jesus. That's what, that's what the gospel does, and that's what unity does. The second kind of idea is this. This one I think is really important and something that I mess up on all the time. I miss this so often. I think that unity brings understanding to confusion. I'm going to repeat that. It brings understanding to confusion. This goes back to that idea like, so people are different. So we have different understandings of different ideas. Here, here's an interesting example. So in our country right now, it's, it seems pretty divided, right? Things are pretty divided. I mean, like you see it on the news, you see it in the newspapers, you see it in TV. Specifically, I believe, and I've, I've seen this in my life, I'm from a town that is uh, about 20,000 people in it. And in the middle of the town, there's this, uh, this railroad track. And what you have is on one side of town, you have the white people, the white side of town. And on the other side, you have more black people. And that's just how it always has been. And that's how it always probably will be. It's divided. And, and when, what happened is when I was living there, you had all these, these things going on, right? Where, where these, these black kids would get cu- killed by police officers. And it was, it was kind of like this thing where we would see it on the news and it was kind of confusing, right? So you would have one side that would say all these things and then you would have another side that would say all these things and the news and the media is pushing all these things on us and we have to make a decision, right? Like, it's like, hey, you gotta choose a side. But I believe that if we instead were to sit with the people that maybe were hurting in those situations and look to understand them a little more, why? Because of unity, because maybe some of those people that were hurting that we didn't agree with were our brothers and sisters in Christ, like what if we rested with them? Instead of justifying why all those things were happening, what if we look to be united and understanding in the midst of confusion? See, there's power in unity because that's what I believe the gospel does. And, and we begin to understand those that are different than us. That's what, that's what we're called to do. And I believe that the, the church will grow when we do that more and more. And this last kind of idea is this, that it brings people together for a common mission. It brings people together for a common mission. The gospel is our common mission. The gospel is our commonality. That's the thing that we're called to. We're called to make disciples. If the last thing that Jesus ever said was, hey, go make disciples, it's probably pretty important. And that is the mission that we have set before us today. And that's what we get to be united by. There's so many things that we could be divided by, but why don't we not focus on the thing that can unite us? And that is Jesus Christ died and resurrected for us. And that's good news. And that's something that we can count on. And so tonight, I want us to focus in on this idea of unity and what unity looks like among Christians. Because Paul, in these next couple verses, he talks about this idea of unity and what it looks like. And and he reads this in, in verse 27. If you'll read this with me, it says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and what's interesting here is I was kind of reading this and I was looking up the Greek word that talks about let your manner of life be worthy. It's like a word, but it's a phrase at the same time, which is kind of weird for us because in the English language, each word is separate. But in the, in the Greek, there's this word, it's pronounced polituste. And the word polis means city. And what, what is Paul is saying here is saying, hey, live as if you're a citizen of heaven. Live as if you're worthy of the gospel as a citizen of heaven. The, the uh, Christian Standard Bible, he, it, it translates it, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As citizens of heaven, what would you talk about earlier? That idea of being united as citizens, right? And Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, live as if you're a citizen, a life worthy of the gospel as a citizen of the gospel, and what's interesting there is what, what Paul is saying is, is Philippi is this, this Roman colony, right? And Rome at the time was the greatest empire in the world. And so there was this great pride in saying, I'm a Roman citizen. So what he's saying to these Philippi people, he's saying, hey, the same pride that you hold as a Roman citizen, hold that pride as if you were a citizen of the gospel. And that's kind of this crazy idea and this crazy concept because what he's trying to do is to connect with them. What is the thing that unites you? Your citizenship. Let your citizen have a heaven ship. Be the thing that unites you. Let it be the way in which you live. And for us, I think he's saying the same thing. Live as if you're a citizen of heaven. Because we all kind of focus on the end, but what if we focused on right now and living as if we were citizens of the gospel now? And so Paul is saying, live as if you're a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the gospel. So this evening, tonight, if you're a Christian in the room, and I assume many of you are, most of you are, all of you, I don't want to assume that, but if you're not, and if you are, let's identify as citizens tonight. Identify as a citizen of the gospel, a citizen of heaven, because Paul is saying, live that life worthy of that. And when he says that, I think what it shows us is how to live a united life. And the main idea and the main point, and I have a slide for it, the main idea is this right here, citizens of heaven live united lives. Citizens of heaven live united lives. And these next couple verses, I believe Paul kind of shows us what it looks like to live a life united as Christians. And Paul calls those at Philippi to live this life worthy of the gospel, live as citizens to do all things we are called to live united lives. The first idea is this, united citizens are seen and heard. United citizens are seen and heard. In verse 27, he continues on, he says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. So he's saying, Rather I'm there and I see you, whether I'm not there and I hear of you, there's one thing that I want to be see, hearing and seeing. And it's this idea, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So so he says, hey, I want to see you and I want to hear of you, but regardless of either of those, I want you to be doing these things. And we are seen and heard by standing firm in one spirit. What is the thing that we're standing firm upon? The spirit of the gospel. The spirit of the gospel is what? Of freedom and of redemption, that we are freed by Christ, free from sin, free from our past, free from the things that we've held on to, and we are also redeemed by Jesus in that. And that is the good news that we hold on to tonight, and as a group of people, we have to stand firm upon that. That's the thing that we get to base our lives on, and that's the only foundation in this life that you can count on daily. There's going to be a lot of things that let us down, because I I deal with it all the time. This last week has been kind of stressful and I've been dealing with some anxiety and things like that, but I am continually reminded of God's goodness in those moments. That that I do have something to stand firm on and that is the spirit of the gospel. And Paul's saying, stand firm in one spirit. What spirit? The spirit of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of the gospel united by this. And he says, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, the foundation of our faith comes from this continual understanding and reminding among all of us of the freedom and the redemption of the gospel. that the, That is the thing that unites us. That's the thing that we get to stand firm on and out of this, we have one mind. So you see, our mindset kind of motivates our mission. And, and if our foundation is all the same, our mission will be the same because our mindset is that of the gospel. And understanding of the spirit of the gospel leads to a common mindset of the mission of the gospel. And the mission of the gospel is to make disciples, to serve people that are hurting, to serve people that are around us. The people in the chairs next to us on, on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, those people are important because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we care about them, we'll look to stand firm and strive side by side with them. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, stand firm in spirit, but also have the same mindset moving forward side by side. Hebrews talks about run the race set before you. Laying the things that you don't need aside. And I think we're all called to do that together and also aiding each other in that. Are we helping each other lay aside those things and striving side by side, moving forward for the mission of the gospel because that is our mindset out of the reminding of the freedom and the redemption that we're standing firm upon. That's the good news and that's what we have to understand tonight that if we're gonna be united citizens, if we're gonna be citizens of heaven that are living united lives, that we have to be seen and heard and we are seen and heard by standing firm on the gospel and striving side by side with one mindset of the mission of the gospel. That's what we're called to in this next kind of idea. He continues on in verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. See, this next idea is this, to, to live a life united. for we're citizens of heaven, living lives united, united citizens reveal a saving faith. United citizens reveal something. If we're citizens of heaven, citizens of the gospel, revealing something to the world around us, what are you revealing to the world around you tonight? What are you revealing to the people at your job? What are you revealing to your spouse? What are you revealing to your your, your workers, your coworkers? What what are those things that you're revealing to people? Because Paul is saying, "Hey, we have to live a life that shows people something." See, so see, Paul is saying, "Hey, live boldly. Don't be frightened." Don't be fearful, don't be scared. Going back to when I was living in New York City, I remember, and this is something I'm not like proud of. So like, I remember I first got there and I was still kind of like wrestling with my faith some and dealing with some things spiritually. And I remember we would do these things called prayer walks. So we'd walk around the neighborhoods and we would pray and then we would meet back up at a stop sign. And so we would walk around, pray, come to this stop sign. And I remember the, the team leader would be like, hey, who wants to pray? And I'd be like, not me. I kind of back up like I don't really want to pray in front of all these people right now because the thing is like New York City is not Rome, Georgia. It's not Cordial, Georgia. It's not a small like not really a small place. There are people everywhere. It's kind of scary. There's people everywhere and like there's people watching you doing everything and if you're a Christian in New York City that doesn't even make sense. It's not a normal thing. You're like a fish out of water there and so I'm there and I remember we begin to pray and I remember standing there kind of like you know how we do with our head down and kept kind of looking around. Like I kept looking around because I was worried about like the people around me. I was worried about what people would think if I was one of those Christians, those, those wackos like praying for what? Like who, who are they praying to? What are they doing? And, and Paul here is saying, hey, don't be frightened by your opponents. Don't be fearful. Don't be frightened by anything, but live boldly because this is a clear sign to the people around you of their destruction, but of your salvation. There's gotta be something that we live out daily that is bold. Because what Paul is saying, and we like to tiptoe around this, but the life that many people are living today is leading to their destruction. And if we don't live boldly and reveal that to them, how are they going to know? How are they going to know that they need something more, that they need the gospel, that they need the truth of Jesus Christ? If we don't reveal that to the world around us and live that boldly, what are we doing? We are called to do that. And when we do that, we reveal a saving faith because it says, but of your salvation and that from God, that salvation comes from God, and it's something that we hold firmly to, and as we hold firmly to that thing that we're standing upon that I mentioned a few minutes ago, that freedom and that redemption, as we stand firm upon that, and it motivates us to live boldly, we are reminded, because how bold we are reveals something. You may be living boldly for a lot of things, and it may not be the gospel tonight, You may be living boldly for your job. You may be living boldly for money. You may be living boldly for your your marriage. You may be living boldly for all those things. And those things may be fine and dandy, but what I want to tell you is when you live boldly for the gospel, all the goodness that comes from that will flow into all those other parts of your life. I believe that. Our boldness is a clear sign of their destruction, but of our salvation. And I don't want to focus so much on their destruction because we have something greater than that. We have the thing that saves them. And see, together, united, we're going to reveal a saving faith to the world around us and to each other in the midst of our fears and in the midst of our opposition. See, we have to do that because it reveals a saving faith to the world around us. And do we even care about the world around us? That's a question I have to ask myself. When I get up here and when I get to speak to students or I get to speak at churches, whatever it may be, I always think, do I love the people that I'm talking to or am I just trying to do this to make myself look good? If I don't love you all tonight, then this is worthless. And that's the same thing with our lives because the greatest sermons, they're the ones that you live. They're not the ones that you speak because there's a lot of talk. People talk, but can we live and live boldly? Are we going to be like I was at that stop sign Meek and weak, scared, fearful of opposition, and not living true to the gospel. See, together we're going to reveal that we have to live a saving faith and reveal that to the people around us. In these last two verses, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him. This is something I don't like. I don't think we like very much. You should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. But also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now here that I still have, Paul's in prison. So Paul's in prison right now writing this. He's saying like, hey, you're gonna believe, but you gotta suffer some too. And, and we we thankfully, we don't have to deal with the things that, that a lot of these people in the Bible did and God, like glory to God for that because we get to live this freely and that's great. But Paul is saying, man, there's gonna be moments in life, there to be times in life that you're not only gonna have to believe, but you're also gonna have to suffer. And it may not be persecution necessarily, but there are things that are painful when we were let go of sin. And that suffering comes from that. And so this, this idea is right here is united citizens suffer well together. United citizens suffer well together. That last word is important, together. Because I think a lot of us tonight may be suffering or dealing with things on our own. Some of us tonight may be dealing with things not with the people around us, but we're keeping it to ourselves. And what that does is it drains you. I believe that isolation is poison. And that's why the church is so important because it gives us people next to us. That when we've done the most horrible thing that you could think of, that there are people there that say, "I love you, and I care about you, and I want to suffer with you." See, Paul is saying it's been granted to you that for the sake of the Christ, you should not only believe in Him but also suffer. You're going to suffer individually. There's going to be things in your life where you, you suffer and deal with and you're having to let go of, and, and those are good things because that's that little process of sanctification, right? Being made nude, being redeemed by the freedom of the gospel, right? But not free to do whatever we want, but free to let go of the things that have been holding on, we've been holding on to for so long. And I believe that unity kind of helps us suffer together. And, and it's this idea that, that, that Jesus, he, he, he did this. Like, he suffered. He gave us the example of suffering humbly. Suffering for us, but not just so we can just believe, but we must also suffer as he did. Not suffering in a way that means that we we can do the same things that Christ did, but letting go of things because we remember his suffering. We remember what he did for us. We remember the gospel. We remember that truth and it flows into every aspect of our life. And and I did this, I actually gave this same message to our students um, Sunday night and And what we did was, I don't know if you all care about doing this, but what I did was I had everyone stand up and I had everyone lock arms, right? And so it's this idea of like being united. And it's this idea of, if you're locked arms with like several people, what happens when you move forward? The people next to you gotta move forward, right? If you move backwards, the people next to you gotta move backwards. If you know, you get the gist. There's always this like locked arms. And if if you were to live that like that every day, like not maybe literally, but metaphorically, Locked arms with the people next to you, right? Like, you're going to know when they're hurting. You're going to know when they're joyful. You're going to be able to suffer with them. You're going to be able to celebrate with them. Why? Because you're here. You're, you're locked arms. You're next to them. They're, they're, they're You're always with them. See, we have to suffer well together because that's what the Word says. You're, you're going to suffer. But I don't think we have to do it alone because I think we have people next to us that we can do it with and in the midst of, and the ultimate goal of unity, it goes about the idea of being a citizen of heaven. What did, what did Jesus pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, his kingdom will come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Citizens of heaven, they, they live united lives, not just for, for the one day, but for the today and the tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Why? Because we know that glory will be coming, but we get to bring it on earth now. Why wait? Why wait? Why can we not do it now? That's what we're called to and Jesus prayed that and I believe that prayer is important. It's something because he's saying, hey, I don't want you to wait. I want you to do it all now. I want you to live this out now. And that's what we have to do tonight. That we have to be citizens of heaven, living united lives. And when we do that, we get to bring heaven to Rome in Rome as it is in heaven, right? In Rome as it is in heaven. Will you live that out? Will you live a united life that brings citizens of heaven on earth? Are we gonna do that together? What would your life look like if you did that for a week? Just a week, just try it out. What if we all did that? What if every one of us in this room did that? I think there would be something that would, would happen. So I encourage you this next week and the rest of your life, don't say, oh, I'm just a Christian. No, you are a citizen of the gospel. A citizen of the gospel, and you are called to live that life, live it worthy of the gospel. Amen? Amen.